0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been prerecorded.
1: Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.
2: Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
4: Good morning and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, glad you could join us at this special time here at 10 a.m. Listen every other Saturday at 5 p.m. Sexually transmitted infections are a major public health problem, they can lead to various complications but in many cases, there are no symptoms. Today, we'll discuss screening for sexually transmitted infections in patients with symptoms and without symptoms, the current treatments as well as steps for prevention, and especially important, how to speak to your doctor in an honest way without feeling embarrassed. Our guest is Dr. Sarah Kelly Schultz, Associate Professor of Medicine from the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University, and the program director for Infectious Disease Fellowship at Temple University Hospital, as well as being an attending in infectious disease practice. Welcome, Sarah.
5: Thank you. Thanks so much, Marianne.
4: So we had a great conversation the other day, and I, th- I think it's wonderful because obviously you're a very caring and careful person. And as you mentioned, maybe the, f- the hardest first step is beginning a conversation. So let's talk about a patient coming to the office or even in the emergency department and opening the conversation because we want the patients to be honest. We can't help you unless we know certain details we're about to discuss. But to do so, we as physicians and providers need to frame that conversation in a way that we're focused on the disease and remind our patients No shame, no judgment. We are here to help you get better. So how should a patient raise the topic when they come to see one of us?
5: Yeah, I think that's a really great place to start. There's so much apprehension talking about sex and depending on how you were raised, this could be something that you feel very uncomfortable about, but it's an important part of your health and sexual health is just as important as your heart health or any other types of health. And I think it's important to know that it's okay to feel awkward talking about sex or sexual symptoms that might be bothering you. It's okay to feel awkward or embarrassed, but this is not something that your doctor can't handle. And that if you try to think about it, you know, your doctor handles multiple patients like this every hour. So for us, it really is not anything shocking or anything that is cause for judgment. And I think a really great way to start is just by saying, I would like to be checked for a sexually transmitted infection. Um, and a lot of times your doctor may be surprised. Maybe you're here for a routine blood pressure check, and your doctor may not expect an answer, you know, a question like that. Um, but I think that to be clear and straightforward and just say, you know, I would like to be checked. And sometimes I'll say to patients, a follow-up question will be, oh, we're I'm happy to hear that. Absolutely. We can do that for you today. We can do that in the office. These tests are very, very easy to perform. Um, but, you know, you may expect that there will probably be some follow-up questions. And some questions that your mm-hmm. doctor might ask you are, why? Is this a you know, why is this a concern for you today? Is mm-hmm. there a new partner that you're worried about? Or are you having any symptoms? So those are just some questions maybe to have at the ready.
4: Sure. And you might in listening to the person's story, find out if they're at risk now because they've had relations with a partner who may have had relations with someone else or for whatever the circumstances or the person coming to see you may be at risk in the future because they have they have a new uh, partner or they're starting a new relationship. So that's a good point too, Sarah. And we really want to address the patients without symptoms to prevent further transmission in the community. So it's bigger than just the person sitting in front of us.
5: Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, again, 70% of sexually transmitted infections are asymptomatic. So you might be wondering, well, how do I know if I'm one of those people? So certain behaviors can put us at higher risk for obtaining a sexually transmitted infections. And Also Mm -hmm. being a part of certain communities, since there are multiple reasons that we don't have to get into here, certain communities, we see a higher incidence of sexually transmitted infections. The biggest community is in young people. So people ages 15 to 24 are actually the group where we see the most sexually transmitted infections. So for our adolescents and for teens and even people in their early 20s, it's important to address these types of issues at each at each encounter. Mm-hmm.
4: And in general, we talk about the complications of untreated STIs. We're going to call it STI for, for brevity's sake here. Um, I guess women are more at risk to, to become infertile, have chronic pelvic pain. Men, not as often. Let's talk about some of the complications. If uh, an STI is without symptoms and goes untreated.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good it's a good question because a lot of times we worry about women because especially women of reproductive age could actually pass certain sexually transmitted infections on to a pregnancy. Which could be, you know, could affect the baby. So that's something to worry about. And again, women can also have more medical complications, like you referred to, which pelvic inflammatory disorder or PID being one of the main ones that can cause problems down the road with scar tissue and even infertility. Now, in men, it's interesting. Um, It really depends on the site of infection. So some men who perhaps are engaging in receptive anal intercourse, can have complications from sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia or gonorrhea, and they can have proctitis or different kinds of lower GI infections. Um, And those can also be very serious and need to be taken care of. So when you think about sexual health, you have to think beyond just... um, maybe the basics and think about the site of sex. So are you having oral sex? Are you having receptive anal sex? These are types of questions that your doctor may ask you so that we can screen you at all the places where you're having sex, Mm -hmm. whether that's the throat or the rectum or the cervix, Mm etc.
4: And so um, I like the way you framed your approach by asking the patient a series of P's. The five P's or the six P's, let's talk about those categories.
5: Yeah, sure. You know, when I teach uh, how to take a sexual history to trainees and to ID fellows, I use the CDC's approach, which is the five P's of a sexual history. So number one is partners. So I may say, you know, what are the genders of your sex partners? Have you had any new partners? You know, tell me a little bit about your partners practices would encompass the types of sex that you're having are you having vaginal sex oral sex anal sex etc a past history of sti so people who maybe had chlamydia three times in the last two years ha- has that been adequately treated protection from sti so are people using condoms are they taking a pill perhaps to prevent stis which is something newer that we're seeing um, what is their plan for pregnancy or family planning? and the six p is what we call plus so that's um, can be pleasure, problems or concerns has was that has there been a history of trauma or violence that we need to support the patient for
4: mm-hmm. so um, as you say, they're really good starting points and partners could be um, look every time a person has sex, they're at risk right because Perhaps somebody forgets to mention that 10 years before when they were in high school or college, they had a relationship and it's, it's not in the front of their brain to tell you that. But I guess every time you have relations with a new person, you're at risk for something. And so um, especially when you capture somebody who's a new patient and you say you're concerned, but you haven't connected with this person yet, what makes you worried about it?
5: Yeah, I, I think it's great. Um, some people are very sexually active and have many partners. And especially in the world of, of dating apps, um, anonymous anonymous mm-hmm. sex and more frequent sex, it happens. And that's also a wonderful thing. We want to be very sex positive. We don't want our patients to ever feel like there's anything wrong with having sex or there's anything wrong with having a sexually transmitted infection. These are, these are treatable. Yeah. And, you know, we want people to always know that whatever it is, we can deal with it. We can make a plan and not to sort of hold back information or hold back coming to the doctor because they're afraid, which happens. Well, you,
4: yeah, and you bring up another good point that the picture is bigger than uh, talking about a case of gonorrhea, a case of syphilis or whatever, because we're going to talk about the just update on those each a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful dermatologist on a few weeks ago who said he is seeing people who have squamous cell, skin cancers uh, that result from HPV. So you're right, it's more than just the issue, it's complications or transmission, all those ideas. Absolutely, and
5: HPV, again, is one of the most common sexually transmitted infections. And HPV can cause a variety of diseases. So, you know, people think about things like genital warts, but HPV can also cause anal dysplasia and anal cancer, cervical cancer, and head and neck cancer. So again, right in the ENT world, they're very worried and they're seeing a lot of head and neck cancers that are, you know, traditionally, we always thought they were from smokers and things like that. But now we're seeing head and neck cancers from HPV. Mm-hmm. And again, HPV, there's no treatment for, but there is an absolutely fantastic vaccine.
4: Mm-hmm. And so practices and partners would include maybe, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about certain uh, groups of, uh certain communities that are high risk, men who have sex with men, that, that Uh, activity might be a little bit more traumatic. They're a little bit more likely to cause trauma or opening the lining of the rectum and the bacteria and the viruses are more likely to enter the person's system than uh, a different practice.
5: Yes. And you know, the vagina and the rectum are not the same thing. And we know that the rectal mucosa is more, I say like fertile for infections to sort of land and bloom than the vagina. Sure. So, again, there can be more bleeding with anal sex, but also the, again, the mucosa itself will perhaps you could say lend itself to um, a better milieu for infection.
4: For problem. Yeah. When we talk about mucosa for our listeners, I always remind them that's the shiny lining inside your cheeks, inside your lungs, your bladder, the uh, GI tract. So, we have about a minute and a half, Sarah. And those who do have symptoms, what are the most common manifestations?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, you know, it's tricky because in women, it could be symptoms similar to a UTI, but there's usually vaginal discharge. So not all vaginal discharge is a sexually transmitted infection. Obviously women can have vaginal discharge for all kinds of reasons, but um, symptoms are often, or can be when we see them pain or burning when peeing, increased discharge men again may have discharge from their penis um or a burning sensation when peeing and Mm -hmm. then again if you're having receptive anal intercourse symptoms could be anal discharge soreness bleeding those are sort of i would say the big ones in terms of Mm -hmm. gonorrhea and chlamydia which are sort of like the two the two the two big ones that are the easiest to check
4: and as you say, the young category, adolescents, but you basically ages 15 to 24. Let's take a little break, and we'll be back with Dr. Sarah Kaley Schultz from Temple University.
5: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr.
1: Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com.
4: Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're talking about sexually transmitted infections with Dr. Sarah Keeley Schultz from Temple University Hospital. Sarah, it's so great to have you on the show today because there are lots of really bright physicians, but you teach fellows. That's for our listeners. After you finish a residency, if you're going to specialize in an area, you're a fellow. So you speak so fluidly and and explain things so well. And we were talking about uh, the most common symptoms of STIs. I want to stop there and ask: When, when I was a wee girl, uh, we referred to STIs as venereal diseases, and then they were called sexually transmitted diseases, and now they're sexually transmitted infections. So, just so our listeners know that. Trends change for a reason. I don't know if they have to know
5: exactly why, but just to clarify for
4: people, they're all the same thing. Yes.
5: Absolutely. And, you know, the word disease sounds scary. um, And that can actually be a turnoff for people that are seeking care. There's already a lot of unnecessary stigma around uh, sexually transmitted infections. So calling them diseases sort of adds to the stigma and can make people, you know, hesitate even more to talk honestly with their partners or get tested. So the, a few years ago, we changed, we meaning, who knows, medical society, yeah. decided right. to, to change from STD to STI, which stands for sexually transmitted infection. But no matter the term, it's all the same thing, infections that get passed from one person to another during sex. Mm-hmm.
4: So I think it's important to repeat that we discussed in the first segment that with chlamydia and gonorrhea, we're going to talk about the STIs you're seeing most often in current times that women are, you can be asymptomatic, but they're more at risk for serious long-term complications, like losing their fertility, uh, chronic pelvic pain, or PID pelvic inflections is uh, pelvic inflammatory disease. And men are at a lower risk for the long-term issues. And they're, but they're more often likely to have symptoms. Yes. And we worry about them transmitting.
5: And, and, you know, men can also actually, you know, if they develop, there's a complication that men can also develop, um, involving their testicles, which in rare cases could also lead to infertility. So, and then, you know, it's interesting, gonorrhea, maybe not interesting for everyone, but interesting for me because I'm an infectious disease doctor, you know, gonorrhea can actually spread, um, into your blood and go to your joints. So that's sort of an, 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 very uncommon, but, um, exciting for us in infectious disease when we see disseminated uh, gonorrhea. Chlamydia doesn't do anything that interesting. Um, Chlamydia is probably the most boring of sexually transmitted infections. But
4: that's the bug that can get into your uh, tubes, right? And make women infertile. It it scars the tubes so the egg can't pop from the ovary and then slide down the sliding board into the uterus. So it's really important that we pay attention. And am I right about this? When people used to come to Ellis Island, and they would flip the people's eyelids. And if there were white spots, wasn't that one of these, really? it was either GC or, oh or chlamydia. Uh, we'll have to look that up.
5: Interesting. I love medical history. I'm definitely going to be. Uh, well, you're in, you're there. in
4: That's Philadelphia good. and all the Thomas Aiken paintings are from the 1920s, like the father of general surgery. So you know, art imitates life, life imitates art, but there's so much good history and uh, we don't want it to repeat itself if we can help people. So you were talking to about adolescents and young adults. That's a group that you target because from what I'm reading, two thirds of the case of chlamydia and a half of the gonorrhea cases are in the 15 to 24 group. Yeah.
5: Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, adolescents, I'm a parent myself. My kids are not adolescents yet. But, you know, adolescents, I think, are notorious for keeping things like sex from their parents. So I think probably part of this reason is a hesitancy to seek care. So I think mm-hmm. it's important, you know, that a healthy dialogue around sex with adolescents so that there's no you know, hesitation, fear, stigma, shame surrounding sex and sex practices so that our young people can get tested and cured. Remember, these are not just, um, you know, these are not, for the most part, chronic infections. These are things that are cured. I tell my patients, take this pill, wait 72 hours before you have sex again. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. It's goodbye. So I think that can be something um, that lightens people up a little bit. This isn't like you have diabetes and you're going to have to manage this for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm.
4: So um, I'm finding that 50% of all new STIs occur in adolescence and uh, you know, uh, young people as early as the age of 12. So that begs the question, if a young person comes to you, I don't think a 12-year-old would come to you, but it goes to the school nurse or someone, is there... Uh, I guess it depends on the state. Is there a mandatory reporting uh, question if a child is 12 years old and they've had relations with an older person or I don't know, is there any kind any guide, of guideline that, that we should tell people about?
5: You know that's a good question. The one good thing about being internal medicine is I only take care of adults, and part of the reason for that is I, I feel so anxious around anything involving children. Um, and the adolescent medicine people, like God bless them, they are the most, um, some of the most amazing physician I've met are adolescent medicine physicians. I know here at Chop, there's an absolutely fantastic group um, here in Philadelphia. At CHOP. Yeah. yeah. But um, I do think that, you know, there is always, um, I think there's always a, a concern and fear, especially from younger people, that they're going to be targeted. And I just think it's important to always keep our language and keep, um, you know, keep access open so that sexual health is prioritized.
4: Yeah. And, and you make a good point. We're internists at our foundation. So we see 18 years of age and older. So they're adults, but uh, I'm sure there are guidelines for schools and for pediatricians and, uh, doctors who take care of tweens and teens
5: that I can't imagine.
4: <laughs> I, I can't either. Um, so uh, we don't hear so much about syphilis anymore. I remember we used to have to get the syphilis, the RPR test before we got married. And, uh, My father used to say, make sure you study for your test before you get the RPR. Well, okay, daddy, but, uh, herpes simplex are they're still out there. Uh, and
5: yeah, I mean, syphilis is, uh, is the hot one in the world of infectious disease. Actually syphilis is making a resurgence. Like we've never seen, Mm. um, we, I see syphilis every single day. Um, I do, yes, there is a, there have been various outbreaks, um, in the U.S., we had one in Philadelphia a few years ago, we still have very high numbers of syphilis, and we see this predominantly in our community of men who have sex with men. So hmm. the highest risk groups for syphilis are men who have sex with men, um, men who have sex with men with, who are also living with HIV, particularly, hmm. and of course, men who mm-hmm. have partners who have tested positive for syphilis. Um, What is most concerning about our syphilis explosion is that for a while this was contained among men. However, we are now, unfortunately, for the first time in a very long time, seeing a rise in congenital syphilis, which is really a terrifying end-stage complication. This is entirely preventable. This should never happen. Congenital syphilis Mm -hmm. can be a devastating illness. And it's also can be difficult to make. And sometimes children may not be diagnosed right away. Aww. Um, so there is a huge push to screen for syphilis in not just men who have sex with men, but in men who have sex with women and in women who are sexually active, who are pregnant, who are planning to get pregnant. We test for syphilis yeah. all the time. I see it every single
4: pretty routinely blood test Yes, RPR. It's, or, a, it's mm-hmm, a blood mm-hmm.
5: test. We the RPR has been um, souped up a little bit. There's a, a little bit of a fancier blood test now that we do that is called the reverse screening algorithm that hopefully catches more cases. Um, one thing I tell patients about syphilis though especially with our new tests, say you're a 65-year-old man and say, you know you had syphilis when you were 19, you may go to the hospital for a heart attack and they say, sir, did you know you have syphilis? And that's because the tests that we use are not the best tests and actually can pick up syphilis that may have been treated decades before, but will still test positive. So I tell patients who have been treated Don't be alarmed if you come back, you know, for a knee replacement in three years and someone tells you they have, that you have syphilis, you know, they, there are ways that they can also determine if this is a new infection or an old infection, but that that test will remain positive.
4: Yeah. And, uh, you make a very good point too. The reason that we track down syphilis like gonorrhea, it can jump into your bloodstream and cause secondary and tertiary, all kinds of really horrible complications, skin lesions, but... Tertiary syphilis means it goes to your brain and isn't that what Ediamine had?
5: Yeah. So, so tertiary syphilis really involves the the brain and the the blood vessels and the nervous system. And then there's neurosyphilis, which can occur at any stage and neurosyphilis, actually we're seeing again, the particular outbreak oh. is ocular syphilis. So now we're seeing oh my all of these young men presenting with a oh. red eye. And that's actually a presentation of ocular syphilis, which I think all the ID doctors in the country have probably seen ocular syphilis in the last year. And this is no longer, um, this is no longer something to write up. This is something that we're seeing, unfortunately, quite mm-hmm,
4: frequently. Mm-hmm. HPV, as you said, it, it can be bad in itself, but if it gives it causes cervical cancer, anal, not in everyone, but if those risks are cervical cancer, anal cancer, uh, oral cancer, it's so important to stress getting the vaccine. Let's say somebody's had HPV. Is it worth still getting vaccinated?
5: Absolutely. So HPV can regress over time. And then as your own sexual experiences change, you can get new HPV. Your HPV can regress. Sometimes HPV goes away on its own. Sometimes it doesn't. So again, the vaccine is crucial um, as well as are getting pap smears. So there is a recommendation to get your pap smear. Um, you know, routine women age 21 to 65 can get screened for cervical cancer routinely to prevent cervical cancer, which again is an HPV causing cancer. Mm-hmm.
4: And anything that's bloodborne uh, can be passed uh, with sexual activity. Hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Um, obviously, if there's trauma during sex or bleeding, then if a person is carrying those bloodborne uh, viruses. But I always used to worry here's the Sixty-four million dollar question. Sixty-four thousand dollars, whatever. Uh, I always used to check anybody that had a tattoo that would come to my office. I check for Hep B and Hep C. Now, as a GI doc slash hepatologist, we study liver disease. What I understand the the decrease in Hep B and C with tattoos is because the practice of um, uh, body art has improved. The ink, if somebody opens a very expensive bottle of ink, there's a lot of metallic elements to it. It's very expensive. And they put the needle back in while they're doing the tattoo on Mary, and then her blood goes in, and then they do John and Harry and Larry and Gary, and everybody shares each other's cooties. Now, they pour the ink into a cup, and that cup is only for customer number one in a different cup. Am I right about that? Is that why they think the...
5: Yeah. You know, tattooing has been something, especially for hepatitis C that we do, we talk about, but hepatitis B is much more contagious than hepatitis C. Hepatitis B is actually spread not just through blood, but also through semen. So hepatitis B, you can think of more like HIV, where it doesn't have to be transmitted through blood, but can also just be transmitted through semen. Thankfully, we have a hepatitis B vaccination, um, campaign. you know, babies in this country are vaccinated for hepatitis B the day they're born. Um, So, and again, whenever we find people who are not vaccinated for hepatitis B, we vaccinate them immediately. Hepatitis C, there is no vaccine for, but there is a cure for. So if you are living with hepatitis C, that is something that you need to talk to your doctor about right away because this is something that can be cured in often 8 to 12 weeks. Hepatitis C classically can be associated with tattooing, although I agree, Marianne, not so much anymore but also mass vaccinations, you know, there used to be stories about people going off to Vietnam and just lining up and getting vaccine, 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 oh. vaccine down the line. So the same similar idea of, you know, mass tattoo, mass vaccine, anything where um, a needle is going to be repeated again and again could again potentially um you know, spread Hepi or Hep C, although classically that was always a hepatitis C. Hepatitis yeah. B, thankfully, we don't see um, as commonly in this country, although it is very common in other parts of the world in Southeast Asia where it is endemic. Hepatitis C is the, is the big problem we're dealing with in this country.
4: Stay with us during the break. And when you come back, more on sexually transmitted infections with Dr. Sarah Keeley Schultz. And now for your real champion i call this segment zeus the regal beagle on a hot summer day my then seven-year-old son came into the kitchen and said i hate dogs no dog haters in my house i said to myself and soon thereafter i visited a farm in Shamokin and adopted a beautiful little beagle both my son and my husband had voted no to a family dog but instantly fell in love with Hercules, spoke baby talk to him, and then had a heated debate over who would get to sleep with their new puppy. Eventually, our beagle family grew. A dad in our school had beagle puppies, so we added Seamus and eventually Maggie to the clan. Maggie ended up with a litter of one puppy, so we had to keep her baby, whom we named Libby. Our hearts broke as the older dogs passed on, but on one lucky day, I found the phone number of the farm from 11 years before. I called Kathy and Shemokin, and she said, You're in luck. After 30 years of breeding, I have one litter left. I entered the barn and heard the teeny barks of the eight-week-old angels. As I approached the pen, one of the puppies was crying and tried to climb out, as though he was reaching for me. I lifted him up, and he licked my face. And after a good hug, I put him back so I could look at his brothers and sisters. But then he climbed up again, looked at me right in the eye, and cried even louder, saying, Pick me. It was instant puppy love, and we never looked back. He slept in a little laundry basket filled with soft blankets and made tiny snoring noises all the way home. Each of our three children got to choose a name, so we welcomed Zeus Motorcycle Francis, all family names, of course. The next day brought our first adventure. Our daughter had recently sustained a serious field hockey injury that would cost her a semester, so Zeus and I drove four hours to visit. The door to her dorm room was slightly open, and I knocked gently. When she looked up and saw the precious little soft face of Zeus peeking through the door, she cried out, Mom, because it was the perfect medicine for the ailing princess warrior. The ancient Greeks, Florence Nightingale and Sigmund Freud, all counted on pets to reduce anxiety, and we have overwhelming evidence to support the healing power of the relationship of animals and people. The term human-animal bond may be difficult to describe to someone who's never had a pet, but almost everyone who has owned a pet feels the unconditional love in the relationship. Our pets offer friendship and love without judgment. Well-trained dogs comfort victims after natural disasters. They visit hospitals, mental health, and rehab centers, diminish feelings of fear, distrust, rage, and aggression, and bring tremendous value to patients on chemotherapy. For older people, petting a dog has been shown to decrease blood pressure and the need for antidepressants because of decreased loneliness and social isolation. Hundreds of veterinarians have been working through the NIH to study the healing power of pets. Personally, I don't need science to convince me, I'm a beagle mom. Many a day, I'd leave the world of grumpy growling and enter my driveway to the sound of happy howling, because nothing says love like three happy tails wagging in unison because mom's home. For many years, our queen size bed was very crowded. My super tall husband staked out his space, Libby curled up in my belly, Maggie parked behind my legs, and Zeus found a spot between us with his head on the pillow. I was shaped like a boomerang, but wouldn't have it any other way. Maggie lived to 16 and Libby to age 17, so for the past three years, Zeus became even closer, loving, loyal, and grateful for every treat. Always friendly to other dogs when we went on walks. So whether I'm doing the dishes or sitting at the computer, he was always at my side. And dogs have a sixth sense. When my husband underwent three different surgeries, Zeus never left the chair next to his daddy's bed, watching with his worried, soft brown eyes. And our grandchildren love Zeusy. Even when the toddler hugs were a little rough, Zeus remained calm and gently wagged his tail. And he's always willing to keep a party hat on when we gave him a bowl of ice cream with a candle and sang happy birthday. But he was a worthless watchdog, always greeted everyone, including strangers who came to our front door like the perfect gentleman. I guess the big question is, why can't people be more like dogs? So Dr. Rich's advice is, go out and find some puppy love. And for whatever ails you, take two pets and call me in the morning. In recent weeks, our sweet and faithful puppy began to tire. The vet said his kidneys were failing and we braced for his inevitable decline and he just left us this week. Maybe his passing was especially painful because during the recent troubled times of COVID and social unrest, he was the constant we could count on. Non-stop love without hesitation, that guaranteed source of warmth and reassurance Nestled between us on the couch as we buried ourselves in cable TV to forget the pandemic. He'd put his paw on my knee to ask for a treat or a tickle. And I already missed seeing his angelic furry face at the window, waiting for me to come home. As each of our three kids came to say goodbye, Zeus would muster up the energy to lift his head, lick a hand, and wag his tail. Our final tearful goodbye came one day before his 15th birthday. It was August 8th which marked the 81st wedding anniversary of my parents, who loved doggies. They say all dogs go to heaven, and I'm convinced that Zeus had a soul. And I'm sure that my parents, St. Francis and St. Antoinette of Drexel Hill, were there to greet him. We salute you, Zeus Motorcycle Francis, Prince of Puppies, the Regal Beagle, your rail champion.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com stay covered. Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Now Saturday afternoons at 5. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome
4: back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much about sexually transmitted infections and nuances that are very important for our listeners to hear because it could make a big difference in, in really the rest of your life. One of the things you mentioned with, uh, here with Dr. Sarah Keely Schultz is with syphilis in particular, uh, we're seeing more cases of transmission from mother to baby. And these poor little babies don't stand a chance if they have undiagnosed syphilis because it could cause neurologic problems and all kinds of issues. So be honest with your doctor. We're here to help you. We're here to uh, look at the whole chessboard. You know, if you think you're at risk now or in the future, that conversation should be open. And there's so many great doctors out here willing to listen, which brings us to the topic of HIV. I will say, Sarah, um, your knowledge is so impressive. When I was a fellow, um, I was in New York. And interestingly enough, we're seeing all these healthy, young, beautiful men come to us with diarrhea that we couldn't correct. And they would just fade. It was heartbreaking. And here it was because they had an infection in a certain part of the bowel that really didn't stand out like other travelers, diaries or other diaries we treated. And it was actually at my program that they figured out with a certain type of biopsy that, you know, uh, was MAI, which is a type of, uh, bacterium. But along with that, I was at Sloan Kettering, the cancer center. It was the head of dermatology who put together that a lot of these young men had a skin cancer called Kaposi, sarcoma. I know, you know what it is, but for our listeners, It was like the scarlet letter right it's like a red lesion and when we see it uh, he made the connection that it was the lifestyle that he was seeing a skin cancer in people in their 20s that usually shows up in our in their 70s so we were seeing hiv back then it didn't have a name it was called grid gay related infectious diseases and it took a long time i guess it was in 1986 or thereabouts that the virus was isolated So take us from there. Where are we with HIV now?
5: Yeah. I mean, it really is just, um, it's heartbreaking to hear that story, Marianne, because I'm an HIV provider. And before I have the wonderful job I have now, I did only outpatient HIV for two years at um, an outstanding wraparound HIV clinic called Drexel's Partnership. And I Saw such amazing patients, amazing providers, and the strength of the community of people who are living with HIV really just took my breath away and inspired me. Um, HIV does not look like that anymore. There are, you know, 20,000 people in Philadelphia living with HIV, and they will have the same life expectancy as people who are not living with HIV, which is one of the things I always make sure I tell my patients. And I also tell my patients that if you are living with HIV, you will likely see an end to HIV in your lifetime. So there is a plan, an ambitious plan called Ending the HIV Epidemic, where using some of the ways that we have been able to control the virus and prevent the virus, we actually can talk about ending HIV, a disease that was, again, only discovered in this country in 1981. And here we are in 2023, and we are making these bold plans to end the epidemic. Um So that's so exciting. That's one of the best parts of this job and of infectious disease is getting to talk to people about not having HIV anymore, preventing HIV, and again reminding people that living with HIV is just as simple as popping a pill in the morning. And that's once a day. mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Then that's called the the um, prep therapy. So,
5: yeah. So so prep therapy is our way. You may have heard of PrEP to our listeners. PrEP stands for uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. So P-R-E-P, PrEP. And PrEP is a pill that people who do not have HIV take to prevent HIV. So if you are someone or you know someone who may be at high risk of HIV acquisition, maybe through your work, perhaps you're a a transactional sex worker, maybe through the type of sex that you have, or the number of partners that you have, or the type of partners that you have, or the place where you live that has a very high um, incidence of HIV, you can actually take a pill and not get HIV, which is mind blowing. Um, And also a really effective tool To end HIV, because if you think about it, if we take all the people who are at risk of acquiring HIV and we put them on PrEP and then they can't get HIV, then eventually HIV will go away, which is, you know, some amazing works being done, you know, in Australia, in Paris, in New York, in San Francisco, here in Philadelphia, All over the country, especially in big urban centers, there is work on how to test everyone we can. In Philadelphia, we have over 90% of our HIV, of our people living with HIV know they're living with HIV and to link everyone into care, which means as soon as you find out you have HIV, you're immediately linked to care and then get started on medication. And the medication for HIV is nothing like what it used to be. It is one pill. There's over 30 medications for HIV now, and almost all patients are on one pill once a day with no side effects. It is easier than HIV. I tell my patients I would rather have HIV than diabetes. Mm. And I mean, people always say, well, that's not true. You don't really mean that. But I really do. When you look at the long-term risks, it's actually an easier disease to manage living with HIV than living with diabetes. Now there's a lot of other things that come with having HIV. There's structural racism, there's depression, there's a pro-inflammatory state that puts you at risk for other diseases and other cancers. There is stigma, shame, racism, access to care. These are all associated with living with HIV. And these are things that we try to support our patients with. But for the most part, treating HIV in 2023 is a joy. It's an embarrassment of riches. We have so many amazing medications.
4: So what you're saying is there are two categories here. People that have HIV, the treatment is much kinder, much more tolerable and can, can save your life. Uh, just like hepatitis C we've made great strides and we are able to cure a lot of people from hep C. Um, but I think what people need to remember is if they're just like uh, the sexual revolution at Woodstock and people took their clothes off and all that stuff and started partying because they said, Oh, we have the birth control pill. So we can have sex um, and not worry about getting pregnant, but they forgot they could still get STIs. Right. And just, and same point here, this pill can protect you from HIV, but not STIs. So, don't Don't forget that that's a consideration is what I'm trying to emphasize and the other question I have for you for people who don't have HIV but they're they are at risk and they want to prevent um, contracting it does that prep have any long term side effects like how does that work? Does it stir up your immune system to recognize the human immunodeficiency virus, does it, how does that work?
5: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So it's actually PrEP is two of the medications that we use to treat HIV.
4: Oh, I see. Yeah.
5: And there's two different um, pills. One is called Truvada. One is called Descovy. Um, Descovy is not approved for women who were assigned female at birth. Meaning if you have a vagina, Descovy is not the drug for you if you're at risk of getting HIV via sex. We also, by the way, use PrEP for people who engage in injection drug use or have needle sharing, since that's a core risk factor for HIV, Mm -hmm. obviously beyond the scope of this talk. But PrEP works in those folks too, which is wonderful. But for the most part, we put people on Truvada and Descovy. I will say bearing a few isolated um, things that your doctor can talk about. These are extremely safe medications. They can be used long-term, and they're so good, in fact, that we now have an injectable form. So if taking a daily pill for a disease you don't have doesn't sound like something you want to do, you can actually talk to your doctor about getting an injection. I will warn you, it's it's a big shot in the butt every eight weeks, but... That also prevents HIV. So think about that. Seeing, seeing a doctor, seeing um, you know an infectious disease doctor only six times a year, you get six big shots in your butt, and you never have to worry about HIV. This is a great option for someone who maybe is in a relationship with someone living with HIV. Right. So I have like you know women who are living with HIV when they want to get pregnant. Yeah. And maybe their partner is nervous about acquiring HIV or having sex without a condom so that they can get pregnant. PrEP is mm. a perfect drug for that. If we put the partner of someone living with HIV on PrEP, there is a an amazing, amazing, really an amazing it's really an amazing thing I think for their sex life and for their mental health. And I I would be remiss if I also didn't mention U equals U here. That's the letter U equals the letter U that stands for undetectable equals untransmissible. And Mm. it's important for people to know their HIV status so that they can take medication. So
4: important. Undetectable meaning we test your blood and we don't see uh, a level of um, findable or detectable HIV. They can't transmit it. They can't transfer it. Yeah. I've talked to
5: so many patients. I've been, you know, taking care of people living with HIV for 13 years. I have talked Uh to hundreds and hundreds of patients, especially women, who are nervous to have sex, are worried about having sex, about dating, about disclosing. First of all, in Pennsylvania, your hiv status is your business you don't have to tell anyone your status the other thing is if you take medication and your viral load is undetectable it is impossible for you to transmit hiv even if you tried so that's a sexually freeing message for a lot of women who may be feeling stigma and shame and that there's something wrong with them because they're living with HIV. There is nothing wrong with you. You are perfect and wonderful and you can have all the sex you want. And as long as you take your medication and stay undetectable, you will not transmit mm-hmm. HIV.
4: And it's it's interesting you should say that. I never even thought about that. If somebody uh, contracts HIV from a partner that they could sued. I mean, because it wasn't, I mean, I don't think that happens probably. Another thought that goes through my, oh, were you going to comment on that?
5: No, I was just going to say, thankfully, you know, there could be, you could potentially see retaliation in that way too, you know? So we're very grateful that we have, uh, the The health department does a really good job, actually, of tracking down um, new cases, especially and doing a partner notification. It has nothing to do with the patient; it's all anonymous. Good. So that's a, a nice way to control um, control for those issues without um, putting the patient, the disclosure, at any risk at all.
4: So one of the things we always worried about, especially uh, in GI, we do a lot of procedures, obviously, and we always did rectal exams. We back in the day when we were first learning about HIV. Uh, it was thought that HIV was transmitted through uh, stool, but you're saying, no, it's blood and semen. So that's, that's good for people to know, um, especially healthcare workers that might be handling uh, bedpans or, but I also, uh, you don't hear so much needle sticks. Do healthcare workers or people that start IVs or draw blood for blood tests, how likely is HIV transmitted uh, through a needle stick, an accidental needle stick in a you know uh, medical setting.
5: Yeah, I mean I'm on needle stick call right now. There's a doctor at, at every hospital in the country who takes calls just for this issue. It's really less about the HIV and more about the hepatitis B you're much more likely to get hepatitis B from a needle stick than HIV or hepatitis C. That's one of the reasons why you must be vaccinated for hepatitis B before you work in healthcare. Um, And I will just say very, 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 very uncommon. Even if someone has HIV and you get a needle stick, um, it's very uncommon. And we have medication to prevent HIV in that scenario too. So we call that, we call that PEP or PEP. Um, post-exposure prophylaxis. And this is again for healthcare workers. We also have NPEP. So if you are the victim of sexual assault, you are also Mm. offered medication to prevent HIV. This, the prevention medication is really key here. So, you know, I talked to someone yesterday who was in the operating room and had an exposure with someone from HIV. We put him on medication. He'll take medication for 30 days and he will be just.
4: We're learning so much. I I hope you stay with us, and we'll be back for our wrap-up with Dr. Sarah Kaylee schultz
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
3: Hi, I'm Pete Vernig, Vice President of Clinical Services for Recovery Centers of America and one of your drug and alcohol experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about the stigma associated with alcohol use disorder. This stigma can have harmful effects on individuals who are struggling with alcohol use or seeking treatment. The stigma is often fueled by stereotypes and myths that portray individuals with alcohol use disorder as weak or lacking willpower. How certain words are used to describe alcohol related problems and the people who are affected by them perpetuate this stigma. Stigma is a significant barrier to many people's willingness to seek help for their alcohol problems and can affect how they're treated in all aspects of life, including availability and quality of care. Reducing stigma is a step towards addressing these problems. We can all help alleviate the stigma associated with alcohol-related conditions by consistently using non-stigmatizing, person-first language to describe these concerns and the people who are affected by them. Keep in mind that some words that are commonly used in society, such as alcoholic or alcohol abuse, can be stigmatizing. Stigma can discourage individuals from seeking help or treatment. They may feel ashamed or embarrassed to admit that they have a problem and fear being judged or ostracized by others. As a result, they may avoid seeking help and continue to struggle with their drug or alcohol use, which can lead to serious health problems and even death. If you or your loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's r-c-a-r-a-d-i-o-d-r.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7.
2: I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com.
4: And welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription. With our take-home message from Dr. Sarah Kaylee Schultz from Temple University, Sarah, this has been a great conversation. I have learned such an update on sexually transmitted infections. And what is what are the two big messages you want for our listeners?
5: Well, I think the first one is that there is no shame. There's no, I I know obviously a lot of people may be nervous about this or have stigma. And I just want you to know that Your doctor wants you to be well. Your doctor wants you to communicate and get your concerns um, aired out so that you feel better. If you're not having a a good conversation with your doctor or you feel like your doctor is judging you or your behaviors, get another doctor because it's really important that you feel listened to and you feel respected and you feel like no one is judging you or your behaviors or anything in your past or future.
4: And you make a good point about judgment because, gee whiz, there are other things that people bring to a doctor's attention, like, I cheated on my diet. Well, you know, that could cause a heart attack. There are other things that embarrass people too. So this is no different. This is an infection. Uh, we, as you say, we call it sexually transmitted infection as opposed to disease, but disease, infection, something we can fix, something we can cure. Let's talk about HIV, a little wrap up there, because we're finding now, as you tell us, HIV is about to be eradicated. We should have a national party, an international party when that happens. We're about to eradicate HIV even without a vaccine.
5: It, It really is amazing. You know, obviously, there's been a lot of vaccine breakthroughs. People are now talking about a herpes vaccine. We have our HPV vaccine that is crucial to get our young people age 11. Um, is when that vaccine starts for HPV, which again is a disease that is really a cancer-causing virus. And even without a vaccine for HIV, we have unbelievable treatment that we call our patients functionally cured, meaning that you're living with HIV, but we can't even detect it in blood. You can't even spread it to anyone else. So hopefully a cure is on the horizon very soon, whether it's a vaccine or a medication. But in the meantime, we're doing really good work getting our patients onto medication, getting them to stay on medication and having people who are at high risk for HIV on medication as well. And all of this is with the aim of ending the epidemic, which is really um, such a hopeful message as we really, I think, are in the the golden era of uh, infectious disease.
4: So the HPV vaccine. Remember, it started out with just girls because girls have a cervix, but we're learning it can cause cancer of uh, the oral area, the anus and the cervix. So boys need to be vaccinated too. And as you say, there is now great therapy for HIV that we can cure it. And if there's there's also the prep therapy that if you're at risk of being exposed to people with HIV, you take a pill a day or a shot every eight weeks to prevent getting it, or if you've been exposed because of a partner and you find out, there's treatment for that. And there's treatment for somebody who's been traumatized by a rape or or an unwanted sex and they've been exposed. Treatments for all all those possibilities, it's right there. Take advantage of it. Dr. Sarah Keely Schultz, thank you so much for being our guest today. I, I think too, what we've learned, we talked about the the timeline of HIV and the progress, the beautiful success of people working together. I hope I didn't see that with COVID, having been in training and all these years in HIV and see the, the goodness of being united and working together in databases. And what do you think? What do you think that that will start happening a little bit more with COVID? Because um, I, I think that was probably one of the problems, you know?
5: Yeah. And, you know, public health has definitely been tested. And if, um, you know, ending the epidemic would be a great way to, um, you know, really showcase the power of public health.
4: Because think of all we learned about the immune system with HIV, and that transfers to treatment for cancer and other neurological, all kinds of diseases. The more we know, the more we share. And I think public enemy number one is inflammation. Yes?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) definitely.
4: So on that note, thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here, Sarah. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor at our special time this Saturday morning. Join us next week at our regular time, 5 p.m. every Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. In honor of Zeus and your own pets, do as the bumper sticker says, wag more and bark less. This is your radio doctor wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show, as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded.